Welcome to the show, Art of Living, talking all things Art of Living, <laughs> with Paul George and Adam Kong. Here we are. It's Paul right here. Dude, great intro, man. Oh, yeah? Yes. You feel introduced? That was phenomenal. I do what I can, Paul. So the last show last week, and if you didn't get <laughs> get to hear the show, you can get it on the podcast. Um, we had an intro competition, and I won. Oh, totally. Um, and you just totally failed on it. So this was a great intro to the show. Thanks, man. And we had a sing-off last show. Yeah. And I think you won that one. Yeah, I think I think I did. So um, now we're tied. Here's the thing about my singing, okay? It's beautiful. Is that I don't know if I'm singing good or bad. So it just sounds good. You actually have a pleasant voice. So here's what I know about people's voices and singing is that, you know, you should just sing and sing, particularly sing in church and not worry about what you sound like because God gave you the voice. So just give it back to him, whatever it sounds like. That's right. So if you have a horrible singing voice, be like, God, you gave it to me. I'm giving it right back. But he might say, well, I also gave you the ability to learn how to sing. <laughs> so where are you with that? Can you learn how to sing or you just naturally oh, absolutely. can sing? So there are two things about the singing in this question. One, um, there's the act of singing. And then there's two, the quality of your voice. Like, is your voice actually pleasant? Right. So everyone can learn the act of singing. And but the, not everybody has the gift. But not everybody of has a pleasant voice. Or tone or well, things you could, like you that. Well, you could still learn it. I mean, you can, you can, it's naturally easier for some people, but you can learn. Gotcha. As long as there's nothing wrong with your vocal cords. But the quality of your voice, is it pleasant to hear or not? That you can't, you, there's nothing you can do about that. Right. Okay. Like if I sound like this all the time and I go to sing, it might be on pitch, but it. <laughs> you kind of sounded like the football coach of. LSU, Louisiana State University. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, if, if it's Christmas Mass, I'm like, joy to the world. It might be on pitch, but nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> All right, well, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Okay, so have you seen this? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real, though? Yeah, for real. I'm kind of freaking out. What? Yeah. What's so, wrong? What's, like, one of your greatest fears? Do you have any any fears? You mean like a deep-seated, gut-wrenching fear, or just like a very surfacey, oh, that would suck if that happened kind of fear? You kind of that would suck if that happened kind of fear. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> losing people, like children, oh. or like not being able to stop something on the periphery, like a kid running to the road, didn't see it. Or like a boulder coming down a mountain and rolling over you, your van. Yeah, so I guess something happening that I can't control like that. Yeah. Yeah. So in the same article this week, I found two things that, that I'm deathly afraid of. Okay. One is this guy in France dressed up like Spider-Man or was kind of like Spider-Man and climbed up a skyscraper with no harness. What? Would you ever do that? No. I mean, that freaks me out, man. Like just his bare hands. Like heights, and feet? I'm deathly afraid of heights. But wait, wait, wait. Afraid of falling. Hands. You bare hands. I guess he's got these like suction cups and just like is going up a skyscraper. In France? Yeah. I didn't know about this. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, something you shouldn't do, I don't think. The other one is this is this guy got stuck in this um uh grease vent. It's basically like a chimney that empties grease from this restaurant. He got stuck in there for two days. So both these guys live. Two so I'm days? Not, I don't want to, you know, 
highlight anybody that died. Both these guys lived. And you imagine being stuck in like a vent or a chimney or like a tight space for two days. No. That. How like, did he get in there? Like, like I would. Why? Like, could you imagine? Like, I, I'm a little bit claustrophobic, like being stuck in a small space for a long period of time. It sounds terrible. But being stuck in a chimney, can you imagine? No, it's awful. I mean, Living, I, but you're stuck in there for two days. I can't imagine. What would you do? I remember getting an MRI once, and that was not horrible, but like that was not pleasant. You know, having to be very still, right. going in this little thing. So I can only imagine two days of... I don't know why you would go into a grease vent to begin with, but I think you slipped reason. into it. How do you fall into a grease vent? I don't know. Like, how do you fall into a hole? Like, I don't know. It's an accident. Accidents happen. You think he was, like, looking for something? <laughs> Well, let's interview him. Let's have him on the show. <laughs> we should. <laughs> we should find this guy. That'd be exciting. Who would you rather interview? The guy who fell down the grease vent or the guy who climbed the skyscraper? The grease vent guy. Really? Because I'm more interested to know the why. <laughs> the skyscraper guy can kind of figure out why. Like, he's probably a rock climber. He thought, how cool would it be to be a real Spider-Man? I don't know. I get it. I want to know this guy's reason for getting into a grease vent. And I want to have some questions like, all right, day one, you've got to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Walk, walk me through it. So anyway, <laughs> these things bring me great fear, which brings me to the point here, Adam, is fear is an emotion mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that uh, all of us have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We all have fear. Okay. I'm afraid so. Uh, <laughs> and we all have a slew of other emotions. And I think, you know, oftentimes when I'm talking to people, people are really – honestly afraid of emotions they think there's something wrong with the way they feel or their emotion like emophobia that's a good point (laughs) you just invented a word i did let's put that in wikipedia let's put that on (laughs) no you're right we we feel a lack of control when we realize what we're emotional creatures yeah and honestly like we feel like identifying those emotions there's something wrong with us so i say Mm -hmm. i feel i fear failure everyone fears failure but I feel, you know, the fear of failure or isolation or neglect or a guilt or shame or regret. Uh, I feel these things. Therefore, there must be something wrong with me for feeling these things. And, and the point being is that we're human. And as humans, we have emotions. And it's very normal to have emotions and feelings in all these areas and the, the question is, then what do we do with them? So a lot of people just pretend like they don't have them or they feel like they're alone or they feel like they shouldn't have them, shouldn't have emotions, and therefore they don't deal with them, right? So they, we stuff them down, and then therefore they'll resurface at other times. Well, and that's the, what I was taught to do. The resurface is like a magnification of the emotion. Yeah. So when it pops back up. And sometimes at the worst times, like, for example, the holiday season soon to be upon us. Boom. You know, if we don't process certain emotions, boom, then they'll come up over holiday dinner or whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> so I was having this conversation with this person who um, was talking about regret. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if there's someone who doesn't have any regret in their life, they're not human. Like we've all can think of something we would do differently, we've done wrong, we regret that decision, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Uh, 
but they're still talking about regret from 20, 30 years ago. Okay. And here's the thing. Regret is a normal feeling and emotion that we all experience. What do you do with it? Okay. So, um, so this emotion can drive you to, I think, two or three things. One, emotion can drive you to simply just know that you have it and then ignore it. So then you shove it down. Okay. Two, know that you have it and you just keep staying in the same emotion with it. So I still have regret 30 years ago. Or I acknowledge I have regret, I'm just shoving it down and I'm going to pretend like it's not there. Two, right, uh, I have this regret and I'm still living in the fact that 20, 30, 10, 5 years ago, I'm still sitting with the same regret for the same situation. Okay? But I think that there's a positive side to, to these emotions that even sometimes seem negative. Mm-hmm. You know, emotions of fear, failure, doubt, neglect, guilt, shame, uh, regret, all those things that are, seem negative, and they do have a negative side. They kind of pull us. Those emotions kind of pull us. And here's where I'm going with this, is that the positive side of that is that, say you experience regret, Re- something like regret can identify an area of your life that you need growth. Okay, so I regret the way I treated someone, or I regret the fact that I, you know, yada, yada. Maybe that regret's calling you to have some resolution in your life, ask forgiveness in your life, uh, do something better in your life, uh, call the person that you hurt, uh, forgive uh, the person you haven't forgiven. There's a huge upside to the emotion that can actually catapult us to a whole life of freedom that we're not experiencing. I love that idea. I remember St. Thomas Aquinas, when he was talking about emotions, he said that the purpose of emotions is twofold. Some emotions draw us to a good. So like, for example, how emotional I get about ice cream. It's good. It's drawn me toward that good. Right. Right. Unless you eat too much. Right. That's true. And then it could be bad. That's right. The only thing you can never have too much of is God. Ooh. You just went out with that. I just went out with that. Um... Well, he said that, actually. But anyway, point is, one function of emotion is to draw us to something that's good. The other function is to draw us away from something that's not good. Yes. Right? And that emotions are designed to help human life, not hurt it. Right. They don't make human life harder. They make it easier. Right. Right? So, in other words, if there is a good thing in my life, emotions help me go toward it better. And if there's something bad in my life or something wrong or something that could harm me, My emotions actually help me run away from it. So the problem with emotions is when they're either disordered, meaning I'm going towards something as if it's good, but it's not good, or I'm running away from something that is good, but I think it's not good, so I'm running away from it. So that's a disordered emotion that needs to be processed and worked with. Right. But sometimes we need to listen to our emotions in that they're smarter than our reason is at the moment. I can think of so many times in my life where I felt something that was more true than what I thought and then later realized I should have trusted my gut or my instinct Mm -hmm. or processed my emotions, if you will. Like, try to understand why am I feeling this way. Right. But God made us with emotions for a reason. Right. But if we're simply emotional beings, we'll always kind of live in in trouble. You know, like emotions not grounded in prayer and reason and in faith— kind of leave us stranded, but emotions oftentimes can really tell us a lot about ourselves. Mm -hmm. What I find oftentimes is people think of emotions as a negative thing, and it I find that people in their emotions are constantly being drugged to the past or an old way, 
And what I'm saying here is what you're saying too, St. Thomas Aquinas say is that our emotions have the ability to draw us closer to God. Yes. The end of the they day. They help us. They help us. So so I I experience fear in my life because everyone does, mm-hmm. right? I experience fear of a lot of things. It could be fear of dying. It could be fear of skyscraping, but there are internal fears, fears of failure, fears that people won't like me, fears of rejection, right? Mm-hmm. Those are all normal fears. To ignore those is to ignore the fact that God wants to draw close to me. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if I acknowledge those emotions, what happens is those emotions can draw me closer into relationship with God, right? But here's what we're afraid of, or here's what we doubt, is that God will love us or take us in, or that we're in control of our own life, right? So we have this idea of self-reliance and self-doing and Self going at it and drawing into God takes some surrender. It does. And our emotions scare us because they're that part of us that we really can't control. Again, St. Thomas Aquinas, emotions are essentially reactions. We react to good or evil, and then we react, we react in a way that draws us to the good, or we react in a way that draws us away from evil. And so for us to admit that we react to things, in other words, we can't control everything in our life that's going to influence us is very tough hmm. to just admit that. But right. it's true. Yeah. You know, like we don't control every aspect of our lives. Not only don't we, we can't. We can't. You know, we can't. And we weren't designed to anyway. Right. We're not designed to. And I think this comes to the place where, you know, we, we all have to come to a place where we realize we're not in control. And that's probably the scariest thing that we'll ever do in our life, you know. And I find a lot of times, particularly with men, is that they feel they're in control of their own destiny, their own work, their own finances, their own job, their own success, their own, you know, this is constantly going and going and going. And there's nothing unmanly about surrendering your life to God and saying, God, can you be the pilot of my life? Can I just take the other seat now? Um, There's something that there's very freeing in that. Um, because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, everything's going to crumble except our relationship with God. Yeah. Like, and that's what, that's, what's going to be our ultimate end is how is that relationship driving us in our life? How is it? It's like you said, we can never have enough of God. Like that's the one thing we can't have enough of ice cream. Yes. (laughs) You can have too much ice cream. I promise. You can, (laughs) right? But not enough of God, and not in a way that's like you live in the chapel 24 hours a day. And I think here's the point, is that we experience emotions throughout our day, every one of us. Yeah. Uh, Happy, sad, you know, angry, mad, you know, like driving, not driving, working, you know, constantly emotions. Emotions, what what I find, can constantly, during our day even, draw us into conversation with God. Absolutely. And we need to train our emotions. You know, um, we shouldn't be helpless to them, and we should be working to train them patiently, be gentle with ourselves. But I think the main training we need is, one, we need to actually enjoy godly things emotionally. And this is part of the problem, I think, with some, some branches of Christianity. It's like, look, if you don't feel like going to Mass, tough. Do it anyway. Well, there's some truth to that. Yeah. But I should be trying to train myself to enjoy Mass on an emotional level. Hmm. Like, enjoy the music. enjoy. And I'm not saying I need to find music I enjoy. I'm saying I need to learn to enjoy emotionally whatever my actual experience of Mass is or prayer or whatever. 
Because if I, if I don't, then I'm not training my emotions correctly. And so they'll always draw me away from God. Because some of us, we have an aversion to godly things. Mm-hmm. We do, like emotionally. I don't feel like doing that. I don't right. feel like praying the rosary. I don't feel like going to mass. I don't feel like helping my neighbor. I don't feel like loving. I don't feel like loving. Right. That's okay, like if that's you. But you need to be training yourself out of that. And you can, and I think mm-hmm. that's the whole point, is that when we recognize the way we feel, feel feelings don't determine our direction. Like we, we can recognize the way we feel and allow it to draw us. We can train our emotions to drive us into doing the right thing, the good mm-hmm. thing, the better thing, embracing even the hard thing. So if you're experiencing fear or regret and, and, it's, and it's actually calling you to action, well, maybe I should do something about it. God's asking me for some resolutions, for some healing, for some forgiveness. Uh, I constantly, you know, continue to bring up the path. Like, it's time to, like, allow your emotions, train your emotions to drive you into reasoning. What do I do with it? Yeah, and that's not the same as repressing, because you brought that up earlier, and that's it's awful. The Lord never wants us to do that to where we're just like, you know, shut up emotions, I got this, right? Like, that's not... It's not the same as training our emotions. But, you know, you mentioned like fear and regret. Okay, so it's not, hey, just let it go. Just stop bringing it up. It's, it's like you said, let me go into it actually yep. and see what God wants to bring about. Because what happens is if we do that, if we go into the fear and the hurt and the regret and we let God bring out a great outcome in that because we, we listen to him, we, that's training our emotions to only fear ultimately sin. In other words, disobeying God is our ultimate fear. Right. That's where we need to be as a Christian. We might not be there right now. Like We might not be that afraid of sin. Well, how do we get to our greatest fear of being offending God? By letting God take whatever we do fear and bring it to a better conclusion. You know, whatever Absolutely. we do regret and let him into that. Not to ignore it, but to let him in. Absolutely. And this is a great conversation uh, because our guest on the show today wrote a book called Overwhelming Pursuit. Stop chasing your life and live. So, you know what we just talked about? Um, you know, I get to ask Mark Joseph about in the interview. And That's a great and Catholic this. name right there. Overwhelming Pursuit. Mark Joseph. You so, think that's his real name? It sounds like uh, he sounds like a disciple already. For you real. Know, Mark and then Joseph. He was set up for it. He's obviously Lebanese, two first names, which he is Lebanese, by the way. Oh, Lebanese yeah. Catholics rock. And Scott Hahn wrote an endorsement for the book. So anyway, uh, excited to have Mark on next. Uh, it's Paul and Adam talking all things Art of Living. We'll be right back. The Paul and George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul George here talking all things art of living. Great to be with you today. and I, I am super excited have a good friend of mine, recent author of a new book, and good buddy of mine, Mark Joseph. Mark, how you doing, man? Great. How are you? 
I'm great, dude. Thanks for taking the time. I've been uh, reading your book. I've been having it on uh, my end table, and I've been waiting to have you on the show to talk about this because you and I talked about your book way before you wrote the book and you were writing the book. I wrote an endorsement for the book, by the way, and uh, it actually didn't make it in the book, which is hysterical, Mark. How did it not make it in the book? Well, your endorsement is on my website, and uh, it should have made it on the book because I thought it was the most important endorsement I got. <laughs> uh, you're good. So anyway, the book's called Overwhelming Pursuit, Stop Chasing Your Life and Live. I love the title by Mark Joseph. Uh, now, Mark, you are you're got an interesting background, and we're going to get into that because you get into it in the book. But uh, for everyone out there, Mark is the executive director of the Christian Outreach Office at Franciscan University. Of uh, Steubenville oversees all their conferences all over the country. Does an amazing work. Married, uh, three kids, um, and uh, you also have your own ministry. You do markjosephministries.com, where you write blogs, you speak, and of course you you wrote this book. So uh, anyway, congratulations on the book, man. It's um, out there by our Sunday visitor. Congrats. Yeah, well, thank you very much. As you know, it is a lot of work. I have the utmost respect for authors, and uh, but it was a passion, and I, I feel you know gratified in, in, in getting it done. Yeah, and really just getting to know you over the years, and um, when you started talking about the idea of the book, uh, the, really the idea of the book came way before you ever even thought about the book, Mark. It, it, it's really, it's your story. Um so when you thought about writing the book, uh, what made you sit down and kind of put your whole story and testimony together? And, and what, what, what was really the, the thought process of, of this title? Because the title is really catchy to me, Overwhelming Pursuit, Stop Chasing Your Life and Live. Yeah, I think that, you know, in terms of the why I wrote it, uh, and I don't know that this was the original intent, uh, as you know, Paul, because you helped me a lot through the process. Uh, it was a, a six-year journey uh, in writing this book. But in the end, I think it comes down to, to three things. Uh, one is that uh, in, in understanding internalizing God's unconditional love, my world was absolutely rocked. Like It was transformational for me and changed my life forever. Uh, and then the second reason is, is that uh, I just don't hear that message, you know, about God's unconditional love uh, anywhere in our churches. Uh, I don't think it's written about enough. I don't think it's spoken about enough. I just don't hear it or see it often enough. And then third, I'm, I'm convicted, so convicted, given the change in my life that it created, that it needs to be shared with the masses. So those are my primary motivations. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, your stories, um, it's interesting. It's different than mine, of course, and others. But your background um, is is super interesting because you worked in the business world uh, most of your life, the majority of your life. And so it's really just been, you know, in the last, you know, however many years you've been working at Franciscan University in, in sort of the ministry world. So your whole background is in this idea of overwhelming pursuit. And uh, you're your success there and then your conversion. Uh, what was it like being in the business world and just feeling constantly overwhelmed with life and all the things that surrounded that? Uh, I, you know, I talk about the fact that, that, and you know, the, 
we have listeners here. They aren't seeing the book, but the on the on the cover of the book is this hamster wheel, right? So it's this idea of being on the hamster wheel of life and uh, and not being able to get off. And I talk about this concept of being overwhelmed. Uh, obviously, it's, it's it's the title. And uh, you know, the fact is, is that when things are going well, I don't know that we really realize that we're overwhelmed uh, because we believe we're in control. Uh, but we all are operating at this incredibly fast pace, right, which then leaves this absence of peace in our lives. Uh, I remember I, I gave a talk not so long ago, and I, I, I asked the audience uh, beforehand, who's overwhelmed? And literally every hand in the audience shot up immediately. Yep. Right. And then. And then when things are a challenge, when, when, you know, tragedy strikes as a conflict or we have our hurts or wounds, or maybe just getting through the drudgery of the day, uh, we're exhausted, we're deflated, we're frustrated, and we know we're overwhelmed, right? So I, uh, I, I was, I was, I've been overwhelmed pre-conversion, uh, my entire life. Some of the time I didn't know it because I was dumb, fat, and happy and things were going swimmingly well. And other times, uh, especially when tragedy struck, uh, I felt it to my core. Hmm. That's, that's, I mean, you put it in, and, uh, but here, here's what I want to do. I, I need to get more into this overwhelm because, um, you know, I was speaking as well and I used a different word, um, you know, um, stressed, anxiety. Uh, worry, you know, all the all these emotions, th- this overwhelmed. What do you think for the majority of people who are saying, "Yeah, I'm super overwhelmed. I'm overstretched. I'm over busy. I'm anxious." Um, what do you think is is the root of being overwhelmed? Is it one thing or is it many things? Well, I, I think it's a combination of things. Uh, my lived experience is that we are raised believing, and it's not with malice. It's not you know with ill intent. But we are raised believing that we have to earn the love of other people, which I refer to as conditional love, right? The more or better I achieve, the more love I perceive I receive. And, and we, have, you know, we can all point to examples of this in our lives during our, our, our youth and adolescence. And my lived experience is that that creates in us a lack of self-love, which then creates in us a fear which prevents us from being, doing, and trying all that we're called to hmm. using our God-given gifts and meeting our full potential. And it's those three things in combination, I think, that put us and keep us on the hamster wheel of life. And unless there is dramatic change in our lives or unless we create that dramatic change, that's where most people end up staying most of their lives, on the hamster wheel. Yeah, I, and I can't disagree with that statement at all. And I think for even people who have had a conversion or live in their faith can raise their hand and say, you know, I still find myself being overwhelmed at times, um, overstretched, anxious. And, you know, I was reading a study that anxiety is, is skyrocketed in our society uh, amongst young people, young adults, adults, old people. And it, it's, it's like this common thread. And it's like, unless we can get off this hamster wheel, uh, which I want to ask you more about how to do that, but you break up. You break up the book in two parts. Basically, the first part, you kind of overall title overwhelmed, and then you have the chapters under there. Um, you know, when love feels conditional, why we don't love ourselves, overwhelmed by fear, false happiness, and false gods, when tragedy strikes, and our wounds. 
uh, when we're feeling overwhelmed, Mark, what do, what do you think, how do we get to a place of self-awareness so that then we can begin to identify things so we can move forward? Uh, most people I know come to this place through tragedy. You know, most, I, I, you know, I, I, uh, when I w- used to pray to the God of money, right. I, I hung out with guys that just wanted to make a lot of money. Uh, now that, you know, my, my entire life is faith, family, and fitness. Uh, I hang out with mostly guys who are deeply into their faith. And most of those men, most of those guys, and, uh, you know, for the women that I've spoken to as well, I think it's largely true. For most of them, they come to this place through tragedy, hmm. right? And I'm not a theologian and, or a scripture scholar. I don't want to get into the whole conversation about, you know, does God allow tragedy? Does God create tragedy? You know, all those things, right? But I know for me in my life that if I had not experienced significant tragedy, I would not be at this place. So I thank God for it every day of the week. And there's other ways too. I mean, you can, you know, you can be seeking it. You know, there are a lot of people that, that, that might not be happy where they are and they just, you know, they're trying to find themselves and find their ways that they're seeking. Right. So it could be tragedy. It could be seeking. It could be an event. It could be a great talk, a song they hear, a billboard they see. There's a number of ways, but, but, but most people I talk to come to this place through tragedy. So let's talk about that for a second. Define tragedy for me, for us, because I think oftentimes we think of tragedy, someone dies or we go through something major, and that is tragedy. But when you talk about tragedy, it, it's not just these major moments, although those are those things. H- how would you define tragedy in a state of, because we all deal with tragedy in some way, shape, or form. Well, f- first to address that point, you know, I, I talk about the fact that, you know, we're told in the secular world, two things that we can we can all expect in life are death and taxes, right? And I would add to that uh, human tragedy because it <laughs> is universal; it afflicts everybody. We're all going to incur it yeah. uh, or experience it sometime in our lives. Uh, I think the tragedy is relative to the individual. Uh, I think that that it, it can be minor for some, and it would be have to be a major thing for for others. Uh, to give away a little bit of the plot line in my book, uh, I lost my first wife to addiction. And for anybody who knows the world of addiction, you know it's truly a family disease. Uh, and you know that that my first wife, uh, you know, lived through the war, and and me and my three kids lived through a war. I mean, it was, uh, I've had, you know, it was just unbel- It was an unbelievable experience. I wouldn't wish it upon anybody. And it was bizarre beyond belief. Hmm. Um, so, you know, that was tragedy for us. For, for some, maybe that doesn't take them to the brink, right? But, but it did us. It did me. It did, did my kids. Yeah, and I think you're right. It's universal. And I think oftentimes, you know, we, we feel isolated in the way we're feeling, you know, Mark, like, you know, I'm experiencing this or someone says, you know, I'm experiencing this. And then what we feel is that we're alone in this. And, you know, I love what you're saying is like, there's certain things that are universal. You know, we all experience tragedy. We all experience, you know, feeling overwhelmed. We all experience the stress of life. And what I love is that in the, in the book is kind of, you just come out of the gate and you just talk about in the first part of the book, the overwhelmed and really meet people where they are. And I love the fact that you use your own story to the point where you're very, 
you're very upfront and transparent about your story, your background, your failures, your pursuit of being overwhelmed, uh, the tragedy of uh, your first marriage uh, and addiction, and then you know uh, your first wife passes away. Like your story um, is really captured there. And then I love how you move from the book part two, which is fulfilled, which honestly I think obviously is universal as well. Like every human wants to be fulfilled in their life. So when you move into that part of the book, where are you going? Where, where are you taking us when you talk about being fulfilled? Well, I mean, first of all, it's scriptural, right? I mean, John 10, 10, Jeremiah 1, 5, Jeremiah 29, 11, like God made us for greatness. Uh, and I could talk forever on that, but he made us for greatness. So not only did he make us for greatness, but we have an innate desire to do great things, to do good things, to be happy and to be fulfilled. And, and he filled us with this special purpose, very specific purpose in mind, according to his grand plan, which is, which is what, you know, how we're to function individually and how that fits into all of humanity. So it's just, uh, you know, when you step back and think about it, 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 it it's a wonderful thing. Um, my editor, who I need to give great credit to, her, her name is Mary Beth Baker with Our Sunday Visitor, uh, really forced me to think about the process that I went through and then articulate that in the book. And uh, not that it's perfect uh, and, and not that there couldn't be more added to it, I'm sure, but that process that, that I identified given my lived experience is conversion, healing, I think healing is a critical, critical component, uh, followed by formation, and there's obviously numerous aspects to the formation uh, formation piece. So that's the process that, that I've identified in the book and, and, and try to guide people through in their lives. Yeah, it's great. Um, you know, I don't want to give away all the book because I, I really want people to get it and read it. Um, they can get it, our Sunday visitor. I'm talking to Mark Joseph, executive director of Christian Outreach Office at Franciscan University. Also, markjosephministries.com came out with a great book, Overwhelming Pursuit, Stop Chasing you, Your Life and Live. Um, but in that, in that chapter, in that second part of the book, you know, the chapter is Discovering God's Love, Our Need for Healing, Becoming the Best Possible You, letting God in, walking with others, pursuing the path to peace, and then called to greatness. I really like how you, you know, you, you built a real good flow there, honestly, on your points. And like you said, like, you know, you, you don't know if it's like the perfect, you know, process, but it was your process. But I think the process is really good that you went through and you came up with in the book. And I think for anyone who's overwhelmed or looking for real, you know, groundedness in their life, like this book, is spot on. You even have an endorsement by Scott Hahn, my man. Right. Well, I, I have the, I get the great opportunity to work with, with Scott, uh, uh, as part of the conference office here. He's a professor at the university. And, uh, it's the way I know you, Paul. I mean, I get to work with the best of the best. We, you know, as part of our conference ministry, we get to work with the, the best authors and speakers in the Catholic world. So it's, it's a great privilege. Yeah. And I'll, I actually want to read what Scott says because I think it's, it's just a cool summary. He says, in these pages, you'll learn step-by-step how to do the hard stuff. Forgive from the heart, apologize, and open yourself to the healing power of God's mercy. Scott Hahn. I love that. 
when you got that quote from Scott Hahn, what what did you think? Um, I was uh, I was gratified. Um, <laughs> I mean, I see Scott quite often. He always says to me, "How are book sales?" And I always say, "Well, not as good as yours." <laughs> <laughs> I don't but, think uh, it, anybody's you know, he's obviously. Is. Yeah, he's obviously a big name in uh, in the Catholic world, and it's a, it's a privilege uh, working with him and. He's become a friend, so I really appreciated his endorsement. Yeah, and here's the cool thing about you know you got the book out, um, but you also speak. You know you're now speaking on the book and other topics, and um, you know that's that's been gratifying. You see see oversee the conference office. Um, uh, people can sign up on your website, the blog. So tell people how they can get the book, how they can get your blog, and kind of learn more about you. Well, you know, you can obviously uh, buy it through, um, uh, you know, Barnes and Noble and Amazon. You can also go to our Sunday Visitor. Uh, but if you buy the book through the website, uh, I autograph every copy that's sold through the website. Um, and you can go to uh, markjosephministries.com. You can also sign up for my weekly blogs there. I, I blog pretty religiously, no pun intended, uh, every Wednesday at 10 a.m. And the feedback I get is, is very positive because uh, it, it's not uber religious, right? It, I talk about very relevant issues in people's everyday lives and, and identify them and then, and then try to coach people a little bit on, on how to solve for them, uh, giving them uh, bits and pieces. And then in relation to the book, uh, we just announced a sale this week, uh, given the Christmas season and the book retails at fifteen ninety five, and we've historically sold uh, groups of 10 at $13 a piece, and we just dropped the price for a single book down to 13 and then it's groups of 10 for $100. Uh, and the book actually makes a great group study as well. Uh, there are questions behind, uh, at the end of each chapter. Uh, so, you know, please visit the site, sign up for the blogs. If you're so inclined to order a book, and I'd be happy to sign it. Yeah. And I do get the blogs too, and they're good. So I encourage people. It's just relevant topics uh, that people are dealing with today, and you kind of hit those, uh, and they're really good. So it's markjosephministries.com. Mark, dude, thanks for taking the time. Um, this has been great. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it too. Uh, I wish everybody a Merry Christmas, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again soon, Paul. God yep. bless. Let's do it again, man. Talk to you later. God bless. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul George. Adam Kong in studio talking all things Art of Living. How was my intro? Beautiful. It was good. I loved it. Yeah. So I feel very introduced. Yeah. So actually, this show on the air and then it'll be uploaded as podcast. Um, we're right before Christmas. Heck yeah. 
few days before Krima. I love it. Loving me some Christmas. Okay. So, um, favorite Christmas song? Pass. <laughs> um, come on. It, it doesn't have to be a churchy song. Right, it right, be right. Your, uh, Is it like Jingle Bells? Or I mean, it's okay. Huh. That's hard. So, okay, I'm going to have to do a, a church song and then like just a cultural song. Okay. That's, otherwise, I can't. Can't think. Okay. Church song. Um, I do love me some Oh Holy Night. Ah, that's a good one. Yeah. Cultural song. You remember that song? Um, I don't know what it's called actually, but bells will be ringing. Yeah, that one. Aaron Neville yeah. sang that one. Aaron Neville's, you know, version of that song is really good. Yeah, he's from the No. Yep. Nola. Nolans. Yeah, New Orleans. What about you? Favorite Christmas oh, song? Come, oh, come, Emmanuel. You love it, huh? Because I feel like I can sing it. You can. I just heard it. it yeah, it's beautiful. just kind of like on one one key. It feels like, you know, just barely moves. Mm. Yeah. And then Jingle Bell Rock. Really? Yeah, I hate you that love, song. You hate it? I hate it so much that, that, you I, love that it? I love it. Like you got to hear it? Like I hate it so much <laughs> that I love it. <laughs> Speaking I am emotions. not a fan of Christmas songs on the radio. Oh, because it, it just—it's just—they're so bad. You're like the Scrooge of. Christmas but I radio. like Christmas music. Like I like Christmas music. You just don't want it on the radio. Yeah. So a good friend of mine, Matt Marr, just came out with a Christmas album. Really? You got to get. I didn't know so that. So really good. Um, great songs on there. Some originals and then some covers. But he did a great job what on are it. The songs like about? I like. They're about Christmas. Oh. You know Jesus, that guy? Yeah. Who came at Christmas? Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That, that thing. That whole event of Christmas. Song's about that. Yeah, song's All about right. that. That's cool, man. Yeah. So I guess you can find it like on Spotify, iTunes, you know, Matt Moore Christmas album. Yeah. All right. So anyway, we're going to do a six-pack of eggnog Christmas version of the six-pack. Question. Question number one for our six pack of eggnog. Yeah, so um, this, our six pack, we're not, we're not saying to people what the six pack is. You know, like a six pack of what, right? Right. But, but there is this sound. Watch, I'll play it for you again. It could be anything. <laughs> Question. That's what I'm saying. Could it be anything? But I've never heard eggnog opened like that. Oh, that's true. But that's true. But for today, for we'll, today, six pack of eggnog. All right, so my first question is the obvious one. Do you like eggnog? Do you drink it? So I drink eggnog once a year when we decorate our Christmas tree. That one day. That one day. And I do like it. I don't know why I don't drink it more. It Maybe it's because it just feels so heavy. I mean, it is ice cream. You're drinking melted ice cream. You know, so it just feels like it's like a meal, like it's packed with calories. And so, yeah. But fair, I do. Fair I, enough. I don't dislike it. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, Six-pack question of eggnog number two. <laughs> question of eggnog. <laughs> question of eggnog number number two. I didn't know eggnog was a question. Um, from our interview with yeah. Mark Joseph. Uh-huh. So you got to listen in on it. Yep, um, attentively. Anything that uh, overwhelms you Christmas? Yes. Um, not to put my wife on the spot because I love her and she's awesome and there's nothing wrong with her at all on the planet. But... Um, 
I tend to get overwhelmed when she's overwhelmed. Oh, yeah. Not the other way around. There are some times where I feel overwhelmed just on my own. But when I feel like she's overwhelmed, yeah. I feel the overwhelmness. Because you don't know how to, what to do, how to do it. And the big list of things to do at the holidays, yeah. buying gifts, wrapping gifts, deciding so much, too much. When I feel like it's starting to overwhelm her, I I feel like, and then I'm like, fine, we're just not doing gifts. <laughs> It'll make you feel better. I really feel bad because my my wife takes on the majority of the burden of all the shopping and all that, and mm-hmm. I mean, you know, she's awesome. Like I just don't know how she does it, but it is an overwhelming time, and I think at times like we almost make it more overwhelming than it should be. But overwhelming is a, a natural emotion. And you know what? What do you do with your overwhelmness? <laughs> Give it to God. Give it to Jesus. <laughs> Lord, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> Traveling overwhelms me at the holidays, so I don't do it. Ever? So sometimes you have a choice. Yeah. To stop doing things that make you overwhelmed. Sometimes overwhelmness just comes from reality of what's surrounding you. You know? You said it. So. I love that. Yeah. All right, question number three. So so there are a lot of scenes of Christmas. Let's say the nativity scene. Let's say uh, the North Pole. Yes. There's a lot of images of like, okay. Mm-hmm. What scene or image like that do you love the most? Like if you're going to tattoo one on your back, like Christmas tattoo, Yeah. what would it be? So I haven't really thought about it, but as you were speaking, there's one that kind of – so. I kind of I love the story of the manger, like in the scripture, like the whole birth birth of Jesus and how they ended up in Bethlehem, and I often imagine what it was like in the vision. But um, you know the uh, the magi, you know, you know the wise men coming up to the scene, mm-hmm. and I just wonder, like that's the image I have is like, what, was there an honest? What was their honest when they found, you know, the the baby Jesus, the king? And realize like, oh, this is him. Like there was, a, there was, a, there was a. At, like you want to see their face. At some point, there was a, like a, oh, whoa. Mm-hmm. So much so that it says in scripture that uh, Herod had told them if they found the king to come back to him and tell them where he is. So much so that when they realized that Jesus was actually the Messiah, they didn't go back to Herod because they knew that he would, you know, want to murder him. Mm-hmm. And so there, there was a true acceptance of the awness. Of what God, of who God was, and I would have loved to see their faces when that happened. Sweet. Can I interject a cool Fulton Sheen quote? Yeah. On that. Mm-hmm. So he reads that part of scripture, and they returned a different way, and he says, "Of course they did. Of course they did. Mm. Who finds Jesus and goes back the same way?" Wow. I like that. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> The art of living, a new way of living. Yeah, That's exactly. what Jesus does. He transforms yeah. our life to, to live in a new way, a different way, a different path. Right, exactly. Yeah. Of course they did. Of course they did. <laughs> okay, so on a deeper question around the six-pack of eggnog, <laughs> speaking of eggnog, Open what, up a big what's, can of eggnog. <laughs> what's your f- favorite, favorite either food or dessert at Christmas, not Thanksgiving, Easter, this is specifically Christmas? Food or dessert? Yeah. Yep. Well, whatever my wife makes, one. Okay, yeah. Uh, Obviously. Secondly, um, I mean, I do love eggnog. Like, I will drink a ton of it over okay. the next few days. I um, Starting this weekend, really. I'll it's need a, eggnog season. I'll need more than a six-pack. I'll need a case of it. Do you ever put anything in your eggnog? I have. 
Honestly, I don't like it as much. Like, are you a fan of like a little bit of you know whiskey in the eggnog? No. A little bit of, a little bit of, little, little bit. <laughs> nothing. So you no? you're just raw eggnog. I've done it, but I don't like the taste of it. I, I just want the okay. eggnog, and I'm and I'll just say it. I don't want to promote any company over the other, but the company I like it starts with B. Okay. And rhymes with Or- Schmorden. Orden. <laughs> Schmorden. <laughs> <laughs> and they make great eggnog, and I'm just going to drink that. Just go just at stick it. stick to that, and I'm going to drink a ton of it. Do you ever just crank it down by the gap, like drink out of the uh, cork? Yeah. Okay. So you like it. I really do. I could, I could just Here kill Here's what I was floored by by going by eggnog the other day is like so many of the labels on the eggnog, like Cortons and stuff, said, you know, non-alcoholic, non-alcoholic. And I was like. You could buy alcoholic eggnog. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know you could do that. Mm-hmm. I thought you had to. Add that to the addition it's of in the, the it's in the adult section. Oh, there you go of the North Pole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, question number five. Oh, all right. Yeah. So Christmas is coming. The geese are getting fat. I guess they're fat by now because Christmas is in just a few days. Right. Um, I, did you know you call a group of geese a gaggle? Gaggle. A gaggle of geese. Huh. No, I didn't know mm-hmm. that. You taught me something. Mm-hmm. Um. So Christmas is very close. What is the main thing that is helpful to think about? Because, I mean, there's so much around Christmas, and obviously Jesus is born and all that, but we're, it's more than just a birthday, right? Like Jesus' birthday. Like if I get go to your house on your birthday and I say, Happy birthday, Paul. I mean, it's wonderful to celebrate and all that. But like what's the main thing we – why do we celebrate Jesus' birth? Like why is it meaningful to you and your family? And uh, what should we have in mind as we approach his birthday in just a few days? So I'll go back to Fulton Sheen. Of, of course you went back another way. Like the incarnation changed everything. The course of history changes everything, changes our life. We don't have Easter without Christmas, right? And the two go hand in hand. And so it's this time to reflect the fact that the Savior of the world came for us to rescue us and to save us. For me, you know, in the busyness and chaos of the holidays, Christmas holidays, there's nothing more that draws me into the reality of that than Christmas mass. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't want obviously every mass should, you know, and, you know, I, I need to confess to that, but there's something just so beautiful about Christmas mass that it just kind of, for me, makes it kind of pauses everything of the busy Christmas season and just says, for this moment, this hour, this time, Jesus is born. Jesus is here. And it just, for some reason for me, like Mass at Christmas means so much more uh, to celebrate and and to draw me into the reality of the incarnation. Because at Mass we celebrate the, you know, obviously Jesus being with us. You know, it's passion, death, and resurrection. But So you love you some Christmas Mass. Yeah, I don't always like the fact that, you know, you can't find a seat. <laughs> you know, like you, yeah. you're literally standing up the whole time or, you know, it's longer and your kids are like flopping around on the floor. And, you know, there's some inconvenient things, but there's nothing more that draws me to the reality of Christmas than Christmas Mass. I love that. Mm-hmm. So wh- what question are we on? Six. I got, really? Eggnog's almost done. Six pack of eggnog. I wish we had some eggnog right here. You would crank it down? Yeah. I tell you what, we're gonna go after the show, we're gonna go <gasps> we're gonna go pick up something. Yeah. Okay, speaking of Christmas, six pack of eggnog. Here we go. 
Um, what is one way that uh, you allow Christmas to challenge you to be different moving into the next year? You know, so like Advent's the beginning of, of the year, and it, 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 you know, accumulates with the, the apex of Christmas. How should it change us? One thing I've always loved about devotion to the child Jesus, um, one famous example of that is Mo- Mother Angelica, founder of WTN, great devotion to the child Jesus. In fact, the child Jesus appeared to her, and um, so some stuff. But I've, al- I've kind of always wondered, like, why? Like, what, what's the particular devotion to the child Jesus? But a few years ago, um, I heard this, and it, it made sense, but especially I have a new baby at home, so I can relate to this. There's such potential about a child, right? Like, you, there's so much you don't know. This child will become such and such, or will do such and such. And there's such a privilege to watch a child grow up. Like, to, like the baby Elizabeth, my new baby, it won't be long before she's a toddler, and then even a teenager, and then an adult, right? And I get, I get a privilege to watch that, but it happens so quick. And it's, it's something you witness more than you do. Like, I'm just witnessing this person grow up. And I think at Christmas, it's a great time to challenge myself. You know, God wants to be in my life and grow in my life. Like this child grows up. And what will this child become? Jesus Christ in my life. And so there's a lot about my relationship with Jesus that wants to grow and become new things. And there's so much potential in my relationship with Jesus. And I think once a year, I need to remind myself that I'm at the beginning with my relationship with Jesus. Hmm. There's much more to come than has been given already. Jesus is a child in my life, and he's going to grow. He's going to grow up, and I get, I'm going to witness that. And um, so anyway, I, I find that moving to think about it this time of year, but as far as growth and going to the next year, I need to ask myself, you know, what is the potential of the coming year? How is this child going to grow up this year, right? And um, I need to look for that and enjoy that, and receive it as a gift, not as a challenge. I think a lot of times we think of growth as like work that needs to be done, but in reality, it's just life. Life grows, right? And we receive the gift of life. And so we've received this gift of Jesus Christ, a baby in our life. Um, in the coming year, it's that life's going to grow. So wow. I need to grow with it. I love it. And it's time of rebirth. Yeah, And that's what I love about Christmas. For all of us, it's a time of starting over. It's a time of newness, uh, of rebirth in our life. And that's what Jesus comes to, re- to remind us of, to do, and, and to accomplish in our life. And so it's, it's, it's a new way. Like, take on a new path, a new way of living in your life. Because why would you go back to living the same way or the old way? And that's, I think, the beautiful quote. So thanks to Mark Joseph for joining us on the show. Thanks, Adam. You can find the show on podcast, iTunes, Google Play. Share it. Love it. And um, Merry Christmas, man. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. And this has been the best six-pack of eggnog (laughs) I've ever had in my life. We should do it again next year. We should do it again next year. But with real eggnog. (laughs) That would be great. Yeah. All right. See you next week. God bless.